your name and lift you on high this morning and praise you. So now, God, as we continue in worshiping you, God, by looking at your word and diving into that living and active and powerful word, pray, God, that you would, uh, your Holy Spirit would lead and teach us in this. Pray, God, that you, my words would be your words, that you would uh, help this microphone to work really well, and that, God, we can focus, help us to focus by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to finish for me this phrase of a popular TV show from the 60s and 70s. Okay, here we go. It goes like this, and I'll stop and you finish it. Good morning, Mr. Phelps, your mission. Okay, good for you. Good, new TV watching, TV-holics. But um, no, that was back in the day, Mission Impossible. We all, rem- we all remember that. Eventually, it was made into some movies. And here's the reality. I say that because here's the reality. The reality is followers of Jesus, you and I, anybody in here that claims to be a follower of Jesus has a very specific mission. Okay, after Jesus was crucified and his disciples had, they had he was crucified, the disciples were petrified, they were scared, they'd locked themselves into a house because they were afraid of the Jews. And that evening, Jesus came to them, he appeared to them, and really what he does is he gives them their mission. Okay, this is the first thing he does when he says to me. He says this, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Okay, so right out of the chute, Jesus gives his, his disciples a mission. The truth is that as followers of Jesus, we are now co-laborers with him in fulfilling God's mission. This mission is now our mission. God's mission, Jesus' mission, now it's our mission. All those that claim to be followers of Jesus. So what is this mission? What specifically, I mean, if I were to ask you what's God's mission, I think we'd come up with a general idea of what that is. But really, quite simply, what God's mission is, is that people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation would bring him glory through the reign and rule in their hearts and lives. That's God's mission, okay? It's this, what we've been talking about, this good news of the kingdom of heaven. You see, the truth is really that the greatest evidence of a Christ-like heart is a passion for God's mission, It's a passion for the lost that overflows in the way that we serve our neighbors out of love, in the way we do good things, the way we show our love for Christ. We show the love of Christ to our friends and neighbors. We share the good news of salvation. That's the mission. So here's what we're going to do today. In our passage that we have come to, remember we're going through the book of Matthew, in, our, in, our, in this, where we are today, we, in our passage, we're going to look at how Jesus helps us, his followers, to understand how to accomplish this mission of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Okay, and here's how we're going to do this. I'm not really big into these usually, as you know, but we're going to do this through some M words here. We're going to do this through looking at the motivation, the means, the method, and the mandate for accomplishing our mission. And we're going to see this in this 
long passage that we have, 20 verses that we're going to be looking at today. So let's start. Let's start by looking at the motivation. Turn to Matthew chapter 9, where words will be up here on your phone. Matthew chapter 9. Let's look at the first two verses, verses 35 and 36. They say this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So here we see that Jesus is on a mission, okay? He's on a mission to bring healing and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Now we see in verse 36, we see what motivated Jesus for his mission. Do you see it? Do you see what motivated him? What was it that motivated Jesus for his mission? You see it up there? It was compassion, This was the motivation for his mission. Now, this word compassion here, what it is, it's a strongly emotional Greek verb that literally describes compassion that moves a person to the deepest parts of who they are. Literally, and I read this in a couple different places, it means that it, it impacts you in your gut, really down deep. It's like saying, remember when we said, I hate him with all my guts. That's what it's saying, but it's the opposite here, obviously. So it's in in his gut. It just has this visceral reaction we have. That's the kind of compassion that it's talking about here. Now, Jesus has this compassion on the crowds because look what it says. He says they're what? They're harassed and they're helpless. Now, these words harassed and helpless are really a picture of people that really have been abused and are really in deep, deep need of guidance. You see, the religious leaders of the day, they weren't leading or protecting people at all. Actually, it was quite the opposite. They were burdening them with these legalistic rules and these regulations. Remember what Jesus, remember we talked about what Jesus called them? And Chris even mentioned it last week too. Jesus called them blind guides. He called them blind fools. And so this is why the people were feeling harassed and hopeless and all these things they were feeling. I want to ask you a question. When you see people, you know, when you see people out in a crowd, what do you see? Because I believe that when Jesus, what Jesus sees, when he sees people, he longs to show them compassion. What do you see? What do I see? Now, when you go to the mall, or you're at a movie, or you're out on the train, or you're at an event, when you look out over the people, what do you see? What do you, what do you feel? Do you ever wonder what's going on? I, I, this, maybe it's me. But I'll sometimes look over a bunch of people. I'll look at some people. I go, what's going on in their life? Wonder how things, wonder how, what, what's the hard stuff they're going through? And that person, if they look really good on the outside, I wonder if they just got, they're just totally messed up. Their life is just going off the rails. I, I do that when I look, look around at people. Like I said, maybe. And sometimes, like, what is their home life like? I mean, are they experiencing difficulties? Or, or sometimes I think, I wonder if they know the same freedom I know in Christ that I have from sin and death. I wonder if they know that as well as I do. Really, what's your gut reaction to people when we look at them? See, I believe that when God looks over a crowd, when God looks at people or looks at a group of people, his gut reaction is compassion. That's what he first that he feels, compassion. And it's a compassion that leads to action. It's a compassion that does something. 
In his case, it was a, it's a compassion that moved him to send his one and only son to be, suffer and die for your sins and for mine. In our case, it's compassion that moves us to do things like we team up with organizations like Alpha Pregnancy Center or we team up with like City Impact um, or different things like that or other organizations that focus on meeting the needs of people. This compassion also motivates us to give, like our church did, give to victims of the Santa Rosa fire or serve our community. We're actually looking into that. We're actually looking into finding out some of the, what are the specific needs that Pacifica, Pacifica has and how, as a church, might we be able to reach those needs. And we're doing it because we want to get paid. No, we're doing it out of compassion, we see a city that needs the love of Christ. We see a city that needs people to, to respond by compassion, by meeting needs, by loving people, by helping people. And that's what we want to do. That's what compassion does. Compassion also leads us to share this kingdom message with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our friends and our family. That's what compassion does. So it's compassion that motivates us to accomplish our mission. All right, let's look at the next thing. The next thing is the means, okay? The means. Look at verses 37 and 38. He says this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus relates these harassed and helpless people as a harvest, Okay, they're a harvest. They're this big harvest waiting to be reaped. Okay, they need the good, the need, they need this good news of the gospel. They, have, they need to hear the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Now, up until this point, though, it's really Jesus who's been doing all the reaping, huh? No one else has done anything else. It's, it's totally been him. He has done it all. Solely has been his job. So now it's time to get enlist the troops. Let's get things, let's, let's spread this thing out a little bit, okay? Yet notice what Jesus does. He doesn't, his first appeal isn't for his disciples to go out and reap. What does he tell them to do first? Pray. And what are they to pray for? Pray. Usually we think, Lord, we just want to pray that people will come to know you. But look at what he tells them to pray for. He tells them, pray for laborers, or in some of your versions, workers, Pray for workers to go out. Well, this is wonderful. Isn't it? This is wonderful. This just tells us that God wants to use us. God wants to use people to spread the good news of his kingdom. That's so wonderful. Now, they, now they're to pray to God, to ask God. Remember, he is the one in charge of the harvest here. He's asked them to send out laborers, those who will, in a sense, they will feel God's call to want to share from a heart of compassion, like we just talked about, this message of the kingdom. So the means for accomplishing Jesus' mission we see here is prayer and people. Simple. This isn't rocket science. God isn't looking for, okay, go get a degree and then make this happen. No, pray for people, any people, people that the workers, the lay, not any people that the workers, that the, those that believe in Jesus will go out and do stuff, will move. Remember, in modeling for, remember when Jesus modeled for us how to pray, we looked at this a few chapters ago in the Lord's Prayer. He said, one part of it was your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. And that's really near the, near the top of that prayer. So what this means that one of the top priorities of prayer is to pray that God rule, will rule and reign in the hearts and lives of men and women. That's his passion. We pray that. Before we probably get to all the list, the long list of things that we want him to do or we'd like him to do, one of the priorities is God. May you reign. May you rule. As you do in heaven, may you do it down here. And God send people to go do this. So what this means is that we need to be, to, we need to be praying not only for those that have already been sent out, people that we know that are witnessing to people and sharing the good news, but he'll also pray that he would prompt even more people to do so. I think a lot of times we think, okay, there's people out there. We know there's people that like to share, but God, get more. Send more. Send more people into Salesforce that, wanna, that, that want to share, that want to come together. Send more people in my tech company that will go out. Some more people at my school. Some more people in my neighborhood. Send them out. We need more. He wouldn't have told us to ask for that if that's not exactly what he needs and what he wants. Send more. Keep doing it. Now, as we're going to see in a little bit here, praying for spreading of this good news of the kingdom is wonderful. We need to be doing that. But the reality is, too, that we need to be prepared for the Lord of the harvest to nudge us as well, to put a nudge on our lives. God, I'm going to pray for people, people to get out there. I read a story this week about Martin Luther who had a friend who really felt the same way that he did about this priority of sharing about the kingdom of heaven. Um, so that what his, his friend was also a monk. And so they came to an agreement, okay? L Martin Luther was going to go out. He was going to go out, into, as, they, as they felt like, into the heat of the battle, and he was going to share the world. He was going to reform the world. He was going to go out there and share the kingdom. And his friend was going to stay in the monastery, and he was going to pray. And he was going to uphold Luther in prayer. You're going out in the battle, you're going to pray. Great. That's a great, wonderful model. Okay? So they began to do it this way. Then one night, this friend who was praying had a dream. And he saw this vast field of corn. And it was like as big as the whole world. And there was one solitary man was trying to reap it. One guy. An impossible, heartbreaking task. Then all of a sudden, he caught a glimpse of this reaper's face. It was Martin Luther, that one guy. And Luther's friend saw the truth. Boom, in a flash, he, he realized the truth. I must leave my prayers, he said, and get to work. So he left his place of solitude and of prayer and went out into the world and became a laborer. Now, that doesn't mean he stopped praying, but he realized, wait a second. There needs to be more laborers. I'm praying for the laborers, but wait a second. I am to be a laborer as well. And that's the truth here. Because if this harvest is to be truly reaped, then every one of us must see ourselves as laborers. Whether it's in our neighborhood, whether it's in our place of work, or even if it's in a foreign land. We are all to see ourselves as laborers. All right, now Jesus, uses, now Jesus shows us the method. Next thing he shows us is the method 
for accomplishing our mission. Look what he says in verses, chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. It says, and he, called him, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So interesting just to read that. I realize how easy it is. We just kind of like skate over names, don't we? A lot of times we see names and we just skate over these. I think there's a real a reason that he did, and we'll talk about that in a second. So we see here that after telling his disciples, he says, okay, pray. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers. Now Jesus actually answers their prayer by doing what? He sends them. This is one of those be careful what you pray for situations. <laughs> he says, okay, pray for, pray for the harvest. Pray for laborers to go out. And they're like, probably going, yeah, you're right. People need to hear what your message is, Jesus. Yeah, you go. You, you tell them. And he, okay, guys, you're going. <laughs> That's how Jesus works so often, doesn't he? We think we got this stuff all figured out so often, how God's going to work, and he goes zing and throws a little zinger in there. And Because I, I really think it's easy for us to assume that Jesus will use other people to accomplish this mission of proclaiming the kingdom and the good, the good news of the kingdom to other people. That's so common for us. We assume it's the job of the extroverted person, or we assume it's the person who's gifted in evangelism. Okay, we think they're the ones that should be doing it. Yet we see here that Jesus does something really interesting here. In a sense, what he does, he levels the playing field for all of us. Because notice what he gives them. What does, Jesus, what does Jesus give all of them? His authority. He gives them authority. His authority. Okay? The same authority that had been going or that he'd been using to raise people from the dead, to heal people, he gave those, those 12 disciples that very, he gave them that power. Okay? And although this authority, now you understand, this authority was unique to those 12. The word, which, you know, the apostles, really apostles, so just so you know, the word apostle means one who is sent out or a messenger. Even though it was kind of unique to them, we know that we too are also to be sent out. We are messengers to proclaim the message of the kingdom of heaven. Because we know this because just before Jesus ascended to heaven, he charged his followers with a very specific mission that is our mission as well. You guys know this familiar verse, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, it's interesting. If you take a look back to the names of these guys, it's interesting to think of the, look, note the kind of guys that he called here in verses two, in verses two through four. We don't have time to really get into what these guys' life was like, but this, these are the guys he sent out on this very, very important mission. These guys were extraordinary mixture of ordinary people, okay? Very ordinary people. They're fishermen, 
okay? A tax collector, a reviled tax collector, no less. A patriotic zealot. These are the kind of people he sent out. People that weren't perfect, people that just had all sorts of flaws. Yet the, that the, these simple men with little education and unextraordinary backgrounds are the one in whom the church was built. We got to remember that. The church was built on extremely ordinary people. Okay? William Barclay, commentator William Barclay says this. He says, it's on the stuff of common men and women that the church of Christ is founded. Don't forget that. Don't let that pass. That's so important. Isn't that? It's so reassuring. The truth is that God uses common, ordinary people to fulfill his extraordinary mission. And we can't let that truth pass us by. That means you, every one of you. And that means me. That's who he uses. This is true whether you're a missionary, whether you're a pastor, computer programmer, stay-at-home mom, retired, doesn't matter. We are all on mission. Every single one of us. You know, one interesting fact about this is that, some of you may be interested in that, is that the likely reason that Jesus chose 12 it was a deliberate. It was a deliberate reference to the twelve tribes of Israel. Actually, it was a, it was a symbolic act communicating that Jesus was restoring or really reestablishing Israel around Himself, okay, and around His ministry. This is the new Israel right here. That's what He was saying. So that's why he's using these 12 tribes here. Now, real quick, we're going to look at our last section. Our last section is a long one. It's verses 5 to 15. And really, Jesus gives us the mandate. Okay, now he's going to give us the mandate for how to accomplish our mission. He's going to give it in three ways here, okay? Three ways in this long passage. Let's look at the first one. The first one is to freely and generously proclaim the message of the kingdom. This is the first one, to freely and generously proclaim the message of the kingdom. Look at verses 5 through 8. He says, These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. What is the NIV? Someone tell me what the NIV says, that last little part there. Freely? Freely you have received. Freely, generously, hilariously. Give, give, give. So we see here that Jesus is giving these guys their marching orders. Okay, to go and proclaim that the time that God is going to reign and rule in the hearts of men is now. It's now. He wants to rule and he wants to reign. But notice what he says. It's kind of interesting. He says, he says but don't go among the Gentiles. Don't go amongst them. He says, also don't enter any town of the Samaritans. Now, I don't know about you, but this doesn't sound like that all-inclusive Jesus <laughs> that we all know. What's, go, what's going on here? Why are the Gentiles and the Samaritans being excluded 
from this particular mission right now. Well, here's what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is he's actually restricting them to more of a geographical region, the region of Galilee, which happens to be surrounded by Gentile territory and on the south, the Samaritans, Samaria. So what he's doing in doing this, he's ensuring that the message of the Messiah went first and thoroughly to the Jewish people. He wanted to make sure the Jewish people had ample opportunity, even though they had rejected him. He wanted them to make, he wanted to make sure that they heard before it went out to the rest of the world. Now, this is, a, this is really in line with Jesus' teaching throughout the New Testament and through the Gospels and also with Paul. Look at, what, what, look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We know the first part, but let's check out the second part. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then what does he say? To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, we'll get into this later on down the line, and we're going to be talking about this more and more as a church, about how uh, us and the Jewish nation and all that, actually, we're going to have the, the president of Jews for Jesus is going to be coming at the end of summer and preaching here to help us to understand. Actually, we're going to be having a Seder meal here on Friday uh, for Passover on Good Friday. We'll be talking to you more. You'll be getting some information about them. That's what we're doing for our Good Friday service. We are going to be having a Seder meal here uh, led by Paul and Carrie. are going to help us understand what the significance of all, of all that is. So this is what Jesus was doing here. Jesus also tells them that this message of salvation and this power to heal that they have, they, free, they got it free. They didn't pay anything for it. Jesus didn't say, okay, that's going to be 25 bucks for healing lepers, 30 for No. He didn't say that. It was just free. He just freely gave it to him, this message of salvation and this gift. So he says, you know what? Offer it the same way, free. Be generous. Lavish it on people. Give it away. That's how I want it to be done. That's how I want the mission to look like, you know, without expecting any reward, without any material they don't expect. Now, that doesn't mean he's not saying that people that give, that preach the word and they shouldn't get paid, do not get that into your head. Uh, <laughs> He's not, he's not saying that. We'll see a little bit more of that in a minute. What this means, it means that this gift of salvation and healing have been so freely given to us. Give it away. Be anxious to just give it away. Get more and more people to, you ever gotten something that's free and you go, this was free? I can't wait to give this to more people because it's so cool. That's what this is. That's what he's talking about here. Now let's look at verses nine through 10 is the second way that we're mandated to, that we mandate to accomplish this mission. He says in verse 9 and 10, he says, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Now, the idea here is that the apostles were to travel light and keep moving, Okay. Don't store up a bunch of stuff. Don't worry about all the stuff. Just travel light and keep going. You are to trust that God will provide. Okay? That's the thing. Trust that God will provide for them. They're actually getting, actually what they're doing is, this is really cool, because Jesus had just said a few chapters back, remember? He had talked about the whole idea of not being anxious about your food. Don't be anxious about your clothing. They're getting a chance to put it into practice right now. He's saying, seek first the kingdom. Seek first, be more about your mission than anything else. 
I'll take care of the rest. Don't worry about anything. I will take care of it. The message is God will provide for your every need. You just go. Don't get caught up in worrying about provision. Just be on mission. And God tells them, he even, this is an easy one. He even tells them how they're going to get provided for. They're going to get provided for by the people that welcome them in. That's what this means. A laborer, you know what? You will get taken care of. I will take care of you by the people that you stay with. I'll provide you with that. Don't worry about it. You don't have to worry about, oh, where am I going to get my meal? No, God says, you know what? I got you covered. So he tells them even what's going to happen. They don't, they're not to require any payment for their ministry, yet the people that are being ministered to are to assist in meeting the needs of disciples. All right. Now, verses 11 through 15, the last check section here. We see that the third mandated way to accomplish our mission. Look at, let's look at verse 11 to 15. He says, And wherever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. And when you leave that house or town, truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So we see here what's going on. His disciples are to rely on the hospitality of worthy strangers, okay, or people that will not only welcome them into their home, but they're the people that are going to welcome their message as well. He says the idea here is that to these willing hosts will take care of these messengers is what's going to happen as they go to these homes. When they are received by that home, it's actually going to be a blessing on that home. And really to oppose them, to say, we don't want you here, we don't want your message, is really what's happening here. He's saying they're forfeiting God's blessing on their life. Now, I don't get all that. It's complicated, but he's saying here, so when someone comes in with a message and they've got the gospel message and they're preaching and they're claiming, they're proclaiming good news and they're reputable people, we are to receive them. We are to support them. That's why we love, that's why we love be giving generously to Roy's mission, Roy's ministry. I love that. I love that we were able to give him $2,000 towards him being able to hire more, another person so that his ministry could grow even more and more. That's what he's talking about here. And we didn't do it because we're looking to be blessed. But I know we are. I'm telling you right now, I feel blessed just because I, the joy I feel inside knowing that I got to help out a fellow brother. We got to help out a fellow brother expand his ministry to the workplace in Silicon Valley. I mean, he told me, he, side note, he told me when I told him about this, he was overjoyed in an email. And he sent me an email back and said, oh, I, right, you know what? You just told me I was just at Google today. I was just with a bunch of Christians at Google today. And they were sharing and, you know, sensing the kind of the pushback a little bit of different, of different things. And he shared, but one guy all of a sudden had to realize, you know what? Why don't we put on an apologetic seminar during the week before uh, um, Easter and see if anybody wants to come. Just if they want to know what the Christian faith is all about. So Roy said, pray for them. <laughs> and we get to be a part of helping that. We get to be a part of helping the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom of heaven, encouraging believers and going out further in one of the biggest companies in the world. Does that excite you a little bit? 
does me. I love that. I, that's where that blessing that he is talking about. And we see that um, verses 14 and 15 actually introduces us to this reality that not everyone will welcome the people that give this message. It's just not going to happen. In fact, there will be times of opposition. There will be times of persecution. And we're going to see this next week. This is exactly what next week. Next week verse, if you look at, if you have your Bible and you look at what verse 16 says, <laughs> I'm sending you out to who? Wolves. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to look at that. That's next week. Jesus is going to say, here's what it, here's your mission. Here's what it's going to, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to come up against in your mission. But I'm with you. Don't worry about it, okay? So here, though, Jesus gives his disciples instructions on what to do if their message of the gospel is rejected. If it's rejected by a home or if it's rejected by a whole town, when they leave that town, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to shake the dust off their feet. What that, did, what that meant back then, that was a sign of completely disassociating. Okay, we're not, I'm not done. We're not having it anymore. Remember, we talked about this whole thing before about how Jesus putting our pearls before swine and things like that. This is that same, this is that same idea here. He's saying, disassociate associate yourself from them. Because Jesus is saying, when people reject you, when you're on mission, when you're on mission to share the good news of the kingdom and people reject you for that, you know what they're actually doing? They're rejecting me. That's what he's telling them. It's not you. It's not, don't take it personally. Yeah, easy to say. But don't, don't take it personally. They are actually rejecting me. Okay? And the picture, here's the picture. The picture of what awaits them is a fate worse than what he says of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah in the New Testament, really they were pictures like they were the epitome of wickedness. If you mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah during New Testament times, they'd go, oh, we know what you're talking about. They knew exactly the epitome of wickedness. So they'll be worse for these people, he says, because even in everything that Sodom and Gomorrah did, all that terrible things that they did, they never actually rejected Jesus himself, which is way worse way worse. The Messiah, they're saying no. So it's going to be harsh. It's going to be a lot. So the reality is that some people will welcome our message, but others won't. And the important thing is that we manage our expectations and stay faithful to our mission of proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. We need to manage our expectations because I don't know about you. It's easy to go into, okay, I'm on mission. I'm on mission. And we go on mission and we get rejected. What happens? It's easy to go off what? Mission. It's easy to say, whoa, maybe I need to rethink this a little bit. Maybe this isn't really what I'm supposed to do. That didn't feel so good because it's easy to get frustrated when our message is rebuffed time and time again. We need to remember what the Apostle Paul said. Just shared this with someone sitting in this room yesterday. I shared the other day this verse that came to my mind. For the Apostle Paul said, for the word of the cross is folly or it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Don't be surprised when people think, oh, that's kooky. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. He said, it's foolishness to people that are perishing. So we need to keep our expectations. We need to manage our expectations and don't say, I got a message and they're going to love it. 
<laughs> if that's what you're thinking, you get to be ready for a surprise. Some will. Some will. And some will say, I don't want it. But remember, we've talked about the fact before, you might be one of the pieces in the many pieces that God is using to the one one day they finally do say, oh, okay, I get it. So don't keep our, we gotta keep our expectations in check. Now, even though much of what we have seen here really applies specifically meant for these 12 disciples, I really believe there's some practical help in understanding how to accomplish our mission of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So we see here, we see here that our motivation for accomplishing our mission is to come from compassion from those that are burdened, that are helpless, that are vulnerable, that are lost. And really, you guys, you want to know how to get that? Because I don't know that I feel a lot of compassion or I struggle with that with people. And one of the best ways to grow in compassion for the lost is to ask God to help you to see them as he sees them. Ask God to give you his eyes. Ask God to say, God, I need the God glasses. Put those on so I can see them. It's like that song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. So when we look out, we ask God to help us that when we look at people or we look at someone in the grocery store or especially look at someone we go, ugh, or someone that bothers us or, oh, what's wrong with them? That we look at them instead Kind of like, remember Chris, those of you here last week, Chris's story about uh, being in the dollar store. <laughs> the other, I don't belong here in the dollar store. What I, you know, then realizing, whoa, 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 wait a second, God. Give me your eyes to see them, how you see them. I can guarantee you things will change dramatically for you. But this also means that the means of, for accomplishing our mission is praying for God to raise up laborers along with being willing to be one of the laborers ourselves. We need to be praying for God to move in people's hearts and in ours. So to join the labor force, we need, to, we need more and more people in the labor force, people to be brave. And because there's a lot of people, maybe even in this room too, I know I have been, I've been scared to fulfill my mission, completely scared out of my wits to go forward and say, okay, I need to share my faith. And this, or, the, or the Spirit's prompting me to share the good news of the kingdom of heaven with this person. It's easy to let that fear rule us. We need to be praying for ourselves, but others. We need to be praying. When you think about praying, oh, I want to pray for Coastside today. You know what a great way to pray for Coastside is? Pray for the people to be out of any bondage of any fear whatsoever in order to be on mission. You want to pray for Coastside? Pray that the people of Coastside can be on mission. That God will give us the strength, the wisdom, the power to be on mission. We also see that the method for accomplishing our mission, our mission is through common, ordinary, broken, and flawed people like you and like me. Don't assume that other people are gonna accomplish our mission for us. And don't let what you see as a, a, maybe a weakness or some kind of lack of ability. Wow, you know, I know there's some, I've seen so-and-so, they share their faith so great. Well, maybe it's, it's not me. Once again, make no mistake if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a mission. And God will empower you to do that, to live out that mission. That's what he does. He doesn't go, go look at so-and-so. See how radically they are? Go be just like them. No. 
I've made you who you are. All that junk in your life, all that pain, all that hurt, all even that abuse that you took, you know what? I'm going to redeem that and use that in order for you to be able to live on mission like nobody else can. That's what God does for each one. Me standing up here doing what I'm doing right now, if you would have told me this decades ago, many, many decades, I would have said, you're crazy, afraid of people hiding behind people, never wanting anybody to see anything about me, do, avoiding any attention whatsoever. And now what am I doing? You're all looking at me. That's that, yeah. I can't believe that I'm doing this. I can't believe calls. And I'm, and, I, and I'm scared of what I do. A lot of times I'm really nervous or I'm anxious. I've shared with you kind of my story and my, the disabilities that I've struggled with. But you know what? God has shown up time and time again, not through my skills, not through my uh, personality, but through my brokenness, through my pain, through my mistakes. He has shown up, and he wants to do that for every single one of us. And lastly, finally, we see that the mandate for accomplishing our mission is to freely and generously, generously proclaim the message of the kingdom. He's saying here, don't hold back. And really the truth is that as we mature in our relationship with the Lord, and sometimes when this happens, as we're growing in our faith, we're going to sense that God is leading us in specific and unique ways to fulfill our mission. Like, oh, wait, I wasn't expecting that, God. There's going to be times when you're going to sense that he's asking you to step out in faith to do things you never dreamed possible. That's how he works. If he does that, I got one thing to tell you, go for it. Really, go for it. He will provide you what you need. If he asks you to go somewhere, if he asks you to move, if he asks you to take a less paying job, if he asks you to do whatever, to, if it's in order for it to fulfill his mission, there's nothing more exciting that you could do than go for it, really. No matter what it looks like, oh, that looks crazy. That looks like that looks that looks like career suicide. What am I? I can tell you right now. If you're on mission and you're sensing God leading you there, the best thing you could possibly do is do that, because God will provide what you need. He'll provide everything. And when opposition and frustration come, and you go, oh my gosh, what have I done? And by the way, if you're stepping out on mission, frustration and opposition will come. It will be there. But remember to stay focused on your mission. Remember what you're here for. Remember what we are here for. But most importantly, remember whose mission we're here for. Remember who gives us the power. Who gives us the strength. Who does miracles in and through us that we could never do on our own. That none of us is lacking. None of us is too small. None of us is too weak to fulfill the mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God in the world that you live in, in your circle, however that's supposed to look. And it's not supposed to look like it does in my life. It, he has a plan and it's fulfilling his mission. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and how strong and powerful it is. We thank you that your word is challenging, but also God, that it is so encouraging. I thank you that I know for me this passage has been challenging and encouraging to make sure I'm understanding what is my, how do I fulfill my mission? How do I fulfill my mission of proclaiming 
the kingdom of heaven to those out there, Father God. So I pray for all my friends here. I pray that you would help us with that. Help us to be open to how you would have us to live out our mission in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and at our jobs, wherever that might be. Help us. We cannot do this mission. It's pointless to even try without you, God. So we ask for your wisdom and your strength. In your son's name, amen.